When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 239 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm not joined by Frances Tomas today, but our old friend and Rob Arcano expert, Robbie Dunn. Robbie, how's it going? Hey, very good, Dunn. Glad to be here. And Robbie is joining me to talk today about Barca's win over Rob Arcano 2-1 in hindsight. Happened yesterday, but the reason Robbie was the only man for the job is because you literally wrote the book on the team from Madrid. It's called Working Class Heroes, all about Rob Arcano by that same name. So if there's anybody to help us understand how Barcelona broke through Rob Arcano, it is Robbie Dunn. So we will talk about that team from Madrid at the end. I promise again, they are vanquished and I know they're already a bit in the back burner. But if there's a team from Madrid to root for, they have a good argument for the team for this to be the team that you pick. And Robbie has that argument. But we are going to start with the Barca side of things. And Robbie, I think the place to start is with none other than the Dutch midfielder, Frankie de Jong. Francis and I discussed what changed on Monday with the formation change, but what about de Jong's game have you been most impressed by or parts of it that you didn't see before? And I mean, besides just the four goals in the seven matches, obviously. Yeah, well, I guess it's not really about what he can't do because he does everything at a fairly high level. I think what 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 we've seen recently is Ronald Koeman has been asking him to do more of the things that he's he where he can affect a team better, which and and has kind of uh, we spoke just before he came on about a tweet that I put up about uh, um, his statistics and stuff. He he's not um, pressing as high, which kind of 
like like as we know, pressing is kind of high risk, um, high reward, but it, it doesn't work out all the time. So you're kind of seeing he's doing a little bit less of that, and we're seeing kind of more um, of him arriving into the box. We're seeing him more as a box to box midfielder. We're seeing like Sergio Busquets dropping in between the the centre backs now, and and almost it's almost turned into three at the back uh, when they do that during the build up. So we and, and then Frankie Leon kind of drops, just kind of. Yeah, drops into that Busquets position, and then as soon as they build up to a certain point, De Jong pushes forward where he's just as comfortable as well. So it's not so much um, the things he can't do; they're now asking him to do the things that he's way more comfortable doing, and that he that he, there's there's more of a payoff, I guess. Yeah, and you can see that against Athletic Club in the Supercopa final. You know, it was it was De Jong who, by his fault or not. He had stepped, and that space that he vacated was what Iker Munian was able to push the ball forward to, and it eventually leads to Inaki Williams' winning goal in an extra time there. And again, it wasn't so much a fault of De Jong as, as much as it is that Barca aren't really stepping as a team, aren't really stepping as a press, and not only is that not really Cohen's style, but it would have been too quickly in this project to get that going. We even saw, now we're going back a few years, to Liverpool when Klopp originally showed up. You could argue that it took about two and a half seasons for Klopp's gegenpress vision that you saw him enact at Dortmund actually come to full fruition at Liverpool. It did take time, and to, to get a team to once again be pressing, one that, honestly, because of Luis Suarez and Messi up top for the last, now we're talking five years, that press isn't the same one that Pep Guardiola was employing back in 2010-2011. And I don't know if it ever will be, because football has changed and is now more prepared to deal with that kind of thing. And as Frances and I talk about plenty, it's not only the ball skills from center backs and goalkeepers to almost every team at every level now can break you down, even the Sunday teams. But for Frankie de Jong to be not only much more judicious with when he presses, but by not pressing as much, he's giving Busquets much more time and much more of an outlet to be that other piece where if de Jong or Pedri can't break down the midfield passing as in the other team trying to come down the middle, Busquets is there as opposed to Barca trying to press so high that now Busquets is cut off, you know, 50, 60, 70 yards from his own goal, and he winds up getting blown by, as we've seen a bunch of times, whether it was for, uh, against, even against Elche. Um, but we're not talking about Busquets, we're talking so much more about De Young. And statistically, in the graphic you shared, his final third tackles, if you will, so that means he's not really pressing. The numbers do back that up. And then his tackles in open play as well aren't really happening. And when they do, it's because he's shading over to the wings and he's helping the, the, the fullbacks with those, we'll say, defensive overloads. And that's where they're getting the turnovers here. As you talk about, it feels like something is missing now defensively, but the, the stats can back it up that it doesn't. And I think what it does do is it helps Barca to control games so, so, so much more. And the final point, as you mentioned, is those final third runs into the box I mean, I, we talked about it as Paulinho, we talked about it as Arturo Vidal, but do you think that that run is compl- is absolutely required for a team like Barcelona who at this moment are not playing a traditional number nine or even taking that a step further? Do you think that is every modern team in modern football needs to have that run to be able to break down a team? Well, I think uh, just just kind of breaking down what you said in terms of uh, like like the Liverpool took a couple of years for them to kind of get that press. The reason is as well is that firstly getting all those automizations going and, and and getting that understanding. Secondly, finding the right pieces that fit the puzzle, and that that took Klopp a while to kind of 
I don't mean weed out the wrong players, but kind of shaped the squad into something that he, where he could actually put his stamp on it. And it's the same with Koeman. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, and I, and I think we've seen a slight, maybe, I don't know if it's a resurgence from Busquets, but Busquets has been a little bit better from what we thought he was going to be this season. And, and But at the end of the day, this is a very fragile team. And, and we saw that against Real Madrid in the Classico a couple of months ago. And we've, we've seen it time and time again where they can be beaten on the counter. And even last night, I felt, well, I always thought that they were going to beat Rio. I thought that they were a little bit susceptible. Not And, and I mean, maybe Rio, the shots didn't, didn't uh, they couldn't kind of create those chances. But Rio kind of went at them a little bit. And they and you, you felt like, eh, compared to like years gone by when, when Barcelona were excellent in transition, you do feel like this Barcelona is a little bit more fragile. Uh, going on to then about uh, Frankie de Jong arriving in the box, I think that, well, when you think about what they've lost in Luis Suarez, so you've got like him, a, a, a manipulator of space in the box, someone who's just so cute in the box and so savvy with his movement and his ability to shape his body. You've lost that, and we saw that again last night where like, where like uh, Barcelona don't, don't really have a number nine per se, so they've got nobody in the box. And what they're relying on then is kind of true balls, uh, they're relying on Messi to do something, and, and they're relying on uh, maybe Pedri to, to 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 kind of create an opening. So what you do need then is when you do kind of attack down the down the wings, or if you do if you do kind of get the ball into the final third, you do need that little bit of an element to surprise. So Frankie De Jong, um, and we, and we have to remember as well that he's only twenty three, so he's only kind of finding his feet. So say for example with the like like when we talk about pressing, we think immediately of like. Uh, of of a player uh, crashing into the defender, the player with the ball, whereas in 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 like I suppose tactical uh, parlance they say like pr- the goal of pressing isn't the the goal of the first press isn't necessarily to 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 get a tackle, it's to just get the man turned. So maybe Frankie De Jong is learning. I don't have to commit all the time here. That's probably why his tackles are down. Maybe Koeman's saying to him, relax, Frankie. Like, kind of, because he is a very diligent player. We've seen, we see, we see that he kind of, there's no ego about him. Uh, very diligent. He'll do what he's asked, and uh, no uh, kind of, no, no, no nonsense out of him. So, like, he's probably saying, just relax a little bit. Like, just turn the player around with your press first, and then let us kind of recover rather than diving in and. For a player 23, he's just starting to learn all these things. So he's adding little bits and pieces to his game and kind of finding the player he needs to be because the player that he was at Ajax is a very different player to the one he, he's going to turn into at Barcelona. Okay, there's going to be fundamental things there that are uh, are are going to remain the same. But Busquets plays in the position where he would ideally like to play. And so he has to kind of figure this out. And that's good for Barcelona going forward, and it's definitely good this year for him, given the fact that he is capable of doing those things. If he was a one-trick pony and he could only play in Busquets' position, Barcelona would have a problem. But he's shown now that he can be that kind of Arturo Vidal player. He's willing to learn. He's willing to adapt. And uh, just he, he's just a, a really complete player at the moment, and he's, he's adding so much to Barcelona. Right, it's a trade-off to even statistically Busquets and Araujo since this recent emergence, since or basically it was the formation change of a four-three-three. Again, we're going to talk about the formation change uh, in a bit in terms of Griezmann and Brathwaite and and forward later. But when it comes to Busquets and Araujo, 
because they play on the right side, well, that being Busquets when De Jong is, is going to press and then Araujo being the right center back, their interceptions since this formation change are up. So while ta- De Jong's tackles are down, the interceptions for the two men behind him, as you mentioned, as they bypass, as, as the team tries to bypass that first press, the quality of passes getting past De Jong is not up to caliber, and that is why Busquets and Araujo are in those better positions. So, yeah, as we continue to see the emergence of De Jong, as I keep saying, every match seems to be more and more of a, not only a bigger sample size, but reinforcing the idea that there's finally a formula that seems to work. And one of the things that we argued even two years ago when De Jong arrived, that if Frankie De Jong and Messi and Ter Stegen are your three best players, you have a shot at La Liga. And unfortunately, it took Messi about a month and a half to get going. It took De Jong now, uh, well, about two years to get going or, or a, a year and, and nine months to get going. But to the final point as well, we're going to move on to Ricky Puj now. Because for De Jong, as you mentioned, he only really became a first team professional when he was 2021. So a quick reminder that he wasn't necessarily, I know he came from the Netherlands where teenagers break through all the time. And we were saying Gravin Birch at the moment with, with Ajax, he's 18. But De Jong actually came over from Hevening, and he was only 18 when he came over. But it t- he actually spent a year and a half, two years with young Ajax. And then he finally broke in as a center back at, at almost the age of 21. So De Jong, not to say that he's a late bloomer when it comes to these teenage prodigies, because we always see these top, top elite players coming at 18 or 19. But De Jong, yes, you're right. He's only in his about third year of real professional football. Now, Ricky Puj, he's a player that is technically in his second season of real first-team professional football, if you will. He has been playing in the third division technically now for two and a half years, and he is 21 going on 22. What I saw yesterday from Ricky Puj, Robbie, was, and I'm glad that we have you to talk as a somebody who's outside the very polarizing debate by, from Kool-Aid's, because both sides have kind of dug in, and you either support him or you have to find reasons not to support him. But for me yesterday, I saw a player that didn't necessarily pass the eye test. He was doing things that were good. He was doing things that were bad. But then statistically, the advanced metrics say that Puj actually had a tremendous first half with a key pass. Chances created. He won seven of his 11 duels, believe it or not, on the ground. Two successful dribbles, even a successful tackle. So uh, to me, Puj didn't look like he was finding the game yesterday, and yet the numbers say that he was one of Barca's more influential players in the first 45 minutes. Yeah, and, and I'm not just saying this because that's it. I didn't actually know that, but I would have said the same, and it wasn't so much what he what he accomplished or what he achieved, but it was more kind of the intent and, and what he was kind of trying to do. And you can see he's the kind of player, and I guess we're kind of biased given the fact that he's so small and, and, and um, he, he still looks like a kid, but... He is a player with loads of personality. I, I feel like, and I saw we saw that uh, last night. I thought definitely in in that uh, Rio, maybe they didn't target him per se, but they were definitely making sure to kind of kind of let them know that they were they were um, in a game and they were they were they were kind of breaking up play a little bit. Some, some a lot of tactical fouls a lot of the time, and 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 Ricky Puge was a, was a player who. Given his trickiness, he was one of the players who was on the receiving end of a couple of those tackles. But he kept asking for the ball. He kept he kept um, he kept looking for it, and it was a, it was a strange game too, I guess. In that, well, given the fact of what what we see with um, with De Jong and his position, and then and then there was times like with Ricky Puge, who's who's, who's just as capable of kind of dropping deep and kind of looking for it from there. He did that a couple of times last night, and he was able to kind of find a little bit more space in those areas. But um. I'd say, I'd say, like, I mean, 
I, I thought he played quite well in 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 his kind of personality and, and how much he showed for the ball and wanted. But um, maybe if you're talking about going going forward, you probably would like to see him a little bit closer to goal. But then it does get quite congested up there with Messi and 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 you're trying to kind of break down a low block and things like that. So um. Yeah, like based on what I saw last night, I was very impressed. But yeah, you would like to see a little bit more from him, and you do wonder where he does fit into the side. Yeah, well, let's continue to talk about Puj. I almost did a lens of Junior Furpo here on the other side. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen, or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol, or PK and Mascherano, or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. The break. And Robbie, I think one of the things that didn't help Pooj too much yesterday was the fact that his left back in that situation was Junior Firpo. And we saw that um, I was watching on the ESPN feed and you could hear in the United States and you could see he knew that this was his shot and he knew that he didn't seize that opportunity, that being Junior Firpo. And his positioning was off. And as I said, it, he was not really supporting Pooj in the same way that even Mingueta was supporting De Young on the other side as the other, you know, interior slash fullback situation. And without Junior Furpo being in those right spots, uh, it, again, it, it was maybe something more than confidence, right? So, Robbie, not just speaking of confidence, because clearly it's lacking for Junior Furpo. He's never really had that string of games since he came over from Real Betis now a year and a half ago. So for Junior Furpo... What did you see that, I guess, even from a tactical perspective, that he wasn't doing right and that just seems to be lacking? Yeah, well, well, I mean, you summed it up there. I mean, his positioning was slightly off and he wasn't arriving at the right times um, down, down the left wing. And I, I, I mean, I know we want to. And it really, I mean, it really is uh, uh, probably 
a tactical issue and, and him being unable to kind of assimilate into the team and know exactly what a team wants in different in, in different at different times and I mean when you look at kind of elite level football uh, and I, I think we're going to touch on this later on a lot of it is um, uh, decision making and knowing when I mean you know in your head or you, you've been given the game plan and what you have to do it's knowing when to do that and when not to do that and what we've seen with Junior for, and 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 he's it just seems like at this level he seems incapable of doing that based off a number a myriad factors. So one of them definitely is confidence. And they showed a clip of him after the um, when he was taken off and he was in the stand and he kind of kind of got, um, sighed a big and he just kind of you could see he was really really frustrated. As you said, he knew it was his chance. Um, uh, yeah. Kind of similar, maybe to the kind of Luka Modric situation, Real Madrid, where Odegaard came in, and then uh, they 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 want desperately for Odegaard to be the guy, didn't really do it, and then they had to lean back on Modric, and Modric took that chance. Same with Jordi Alba. Not saying Junior Firpo is going to supplant him in the squad because uh, uh, Alba probably has another maybe season or two in him, but. Barcelona want Firpo to be the guy, and he just can't seem to grab that opportunity. And it 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 it, it is it's, it's been going on too long now. And and all those memories, all those scars, all those failed opportunities, are haunting him. Like I mean, you can kind of see that from his uh, from his the way he's playing. He's a little bit hesitant, as you say, getting forward, incapable of kind of assimilating into the game plan and understanding what's needed from him and 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 i mean i know we we, we try our best to kind of separate tactical from from mental and and physical and things like that but but they all do play a part and 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 i think junior Firpo is he's kind of stuck at the moment in that uh, in his own head i would say yeah, and speaking of a player that was in his own head and seems to be out of his own head at the moment is Antoine Griezmann. And he seems like, at least on the box score, that he was absent in the last three matches. But what his what he's doing off-ball, that being Antoine Griezmann, in that 4-3-3, it has since pushed Brothwaite to the bench here. So Barca's formation story this season, 4-2-3-1 is how it started. It looked ugly. Barca had some bad results early on. Then they moved to the 4-2-3-1 with Brothwaite as the reference point for Griezmann. That also coincided with a bit of Messi's injury and a little bit of a layoff there for him. But Brothwaite winds up becoming that center forward and almost undroppable for a few matches there in the middle. Then Coleman switches to the 4-3-3. That pushes Brothwaite back to the bench. And I think in now this formation, and again, I'm leading you and you don't necessarily have to agree with me, but it's now Antoine Griezmann. He is the starter in that 4-3-3 and Brothwaite is on the bench, right? It, it, we're, we're set in that formation and it's Griezmann's job now to be that point of reference. Not as a center... I'd say not a striker, because you would never call him a striker, but as that center forward who's either dropping into the space that Messi isn't vacating, going out to the wing when he has to, and just kind of putting himself always in the right spaces to allow Frankie de Jong to make those runs in the box, to allow Messi to get off good shots, to allow Pedri to get in and around the box, and to allow Jordi Alba space on the left. Basically, getting out of everybody's way, but being a nuisance for the opposition is I'd say that's almost his positioning, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw that. I, and I, I, I don't know if it was tactical or Koeman kind of instructed this, but he did go more centrally then when Barcelona were looking to get the equaliser and he was kind of trying to kind of maybe maybe kind of stretch out uh, Rio's defence a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and that's kind of one of the 
it's both a compliment and a little bit of a kind of drawback to Antoine Griezmann. And we've seen it time and time again. And the criticism he's taken, in many ways, Antoine Griezmann is just too normal of a guy. I mean, you look at the likes of, say, a Lionel Messi or a Cristiano Ronaldo or guys like this, and they are just so single-minded and 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 they are so ruthless in their in their in their pursuit of perfection, their pursuit of glory, and obviously they both draw each other on to, to that uh, to that level. But like Griezmann, just is. I'm not saying, and I'm not uh, saying he's just happy being a guy. But in many ways, he 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 kind of flourishes in that role, and that's probably maybe why he he was so good at at Atletico because he he wasn't kind of that star. And, and while he, he he both was and he wasn't in that he was the main player, obviously, but he was just another cog in a in a very very functional wheel. And I think, like I mean, we've seen it there. For example, I I, I just can't understand the situation with the penalties, like Griezmann. Didn't take the penalty against um oh, I can't remember who it was against now, and I was Brettwhite missed it. I, I can't remember who they played, but but uh, I just I just couldn't understand why Griezmann didn't take it. Then he steps up to take a penalty against uh, Bilbao in the in the Copa, and he looks so incredibly nervous, and it's just this kind of distilled. Uh, this is kind of his. He does not like being the one in the spotlight, or maybe he was in his own head at that time. But maybe last night we saw Messi coming back and Griezmann was just happy, like, oh, thank God, it's someone else to kind of take shoulder the load here because I am not, um, I'm not comfortable. I'm more of a facilitator and I will score you 10, 12, 15 goals a season, but I, but I don't like being the guy. Not so much a, a spotlight kind of a thing, but more attracting attention from the opposite defence. You, Messi, you create, you kind of... Uh, create all the openings and I'll sneak in and I'll finish perfectly fine but it's just kind of how he sees himself in the team and obviously then we have the kind of added um, problem not not problem but him kind of maybe feeling a bit and obviously Messi come out and I, I think him and Messi are obviously fine now but like him kind of feeling where do I fit in in this like I mean like I was saying with Junior Firpo all that talk of Griezmann like where do you fit that kind of stuff doesn't go away. So all the time, Griezmann's gone out thinking, where do I fit in this whole scheme of things? And uh, But I think, slowly but surely, he has gotten an understanding of Messi. Uh, Pedri has kind of, uh, and, and Frankie de Jong, have kind of have kind of lightened the load a little bit for Griezmann. And then we've seen him flourish a little bit more in those situations. Yeah, and it's interesting to me with Griezmann that we've talked about this now for years, that his on-field personality and his off-field personality are different because if it's, you you know that his off-field personality or the, the persona that we understand him to be, meaning, uh, and I know he usually does them for his daughter, but his goal celebration seems to be, we'll say, the most fun or they, they seem to have the most personality to them. And then you see him with the documentary drama and all that stuff. And it seems like he is this larger-than-life, I-need-to-be-a-superstar attention-getter off the pitch. But then you look on the pitch and you're absolutely right, right in terms of I think what the media almost concocted based on his off-field personality for Atletico Madrid, that for a team like that, Diego Simeone's side, they needed to have the guy. You can't have a major team if you're going to talk about it. And I, whenever we cover Napoli, for it seems like Barca always facing Napoli in the Champions League, there has to be a guy. But every time I look at that Napoli side, whether it was Dries Mertens or Fabian Ruiz, they don't really have that central figure. They merely are a team with a bunch of very, very good players in the same way that Atletico Madrid is. So when you're previewing Napoli, you're saying, oh, it's 
Messi is going to be the is a talisman for Barcelona in the way that Dries Mertens is for Napoli, but that's not entirely true because of the way that that load is shared. And Griezmann was the same way at Atletico Madrid, where Griezmann was not the talisman of that squad. He may have been the best, quote-unquote, best player in that team, but it was a media narrative that he had to be the superstar for that side. When you just look up and down their, their lineup, when they weren't winning the Liga the last three years, Koke, Saul, it would be whatever the flavor of the month was. And even last season, when Griezmann was already with Barcelona, Marcus Llorente winds up breaking on the scene, being the guy for five or six matches. And now this season, they do have Luis Suarez. But we've talking about that before. We're going to instead go back to Barcelona and talk about Luis Suarez's BFF, his best friend Messi. Seven goals and two assists in his last six games. That being Messi. I'm not sure if people have realized Robbie, that Messi's clicking again. Seven goals and two assists in six games. Seems like Messi, even though he was suspended for two games last week, seems like he's, we'll say, back as if he ever left. Yeah, I, I don't really, I, I mean, it's a kind of a difficult one to say. It to kind of, I mean, the hangover from the summer obviously lasted for a couple of months, and he even did an, inter- an interview then shortly after, and he, he was like, look, I, I want to put this to bed, and I want to kind of just come out and, 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 and speak about this. More for his own sake, I think, than than, than the public's sake, um, because he knew he was suffering. I, I just wonder, like, I mean, so so you talk about like kind of, and and it's something that Real Madrid are struggling with as well at the moment. In that, and again, I think we might touch on this later on when when you're talking about kind of developing players and and stuff like that. So you've got like this win now model all the time. Barcelona and 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 uh, as we saw with their finances. They're in. They're they have kind of mortgaged their future, and 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 ha, and have have to win now all the time. And this is the kind of seed of the of the the, the super champions or the super European Super League. They have to win all the time. There is no there is no room anymore for uh, La Masia or for. Real Madrid to, to develop these young players because you, you can't, there's so much media attention, there's so much riding on every single game now that you can't, and, and, and they've come to dominate so, they've become so incredibly dominant that you can't even lose one game anymore. So the likes of Junior Firpo, and I know that would have happened 10, 20 years ago with a guy just not settling, but they would have been given a chance. Right now, Given the kind of state of the, of the media in terms of Twitter and so and, and things like that, and the like, it feels like where everything has to be in 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 in, in fast forward. So like, but Messi, I I feel like is is looking at this going. This team needs an, a new a new era has to begin. How likely am I to win titles in my last couple of years for with this team? And I understand that Pedri has looked absolutely amazing. Uh, Frankie de Jong is kind of coming into his own because loads of uh, like Ter Stegen is obviously world class. You've got a good kind of backbone, but is it enough for Messi to be and remain competitive for the last two or three years of his career? That tension is there all the time, and I know Messi isn't the kind of most um, most expressive player on the pitch at any time, but I feel like now that probably is eating away at him. So I mean, I understand. In the last few weeks, he looked fine, but like we're only kind of two matches removed from him kicking out at, or, or uh, hitting out at the Athletic Bilbao player. That's kind of that tension is always going to be there for the next six months. So while you can say he's back, I mean Lionel Messi at eighty percent or seventy percent is still absolutely world class, game changing, game deciding. 
But it's just when we get into the kind of nitty gritty of, say, an Anfield or Roma or or games of that nature, is Messi going to be there and present and able to, to, to kind of change the game for them? I don't know. And that's what they're... We can talk all day and night about the Copa del Rey last 16 game against Rayo Vallecano and the Super Cup against Athletic Bilbao. But at the end of the day, their season is going to be defined by those games in the Champions League against the Bayern Munich or against the PSG, you know? Yeah. Is Messi is he going to be able to be there for them at that time? And I'm not doubting his professionalism or anything like that. I'm just wondering, will that tension overcome his 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 desire to be the guy for Barcelona? Yeah. Hey, you know, Robbie, I actually have a, uh, in my podcast studio, you know how in those, in a factory, there's that sign that says, how many days since the last accident and you know they always see in the cartoon shows or the tv shows that always goes back to zero well i have one here that says days since we last said anfield or roma and now unfortunately i got to take it back down to zero because <laughs> we brought it up on monday too so yeah i mean those are the things the nightmares that haunt barcelona constantly and consistently and you did mention about the chances that youth have gotten and so i want to ask you from an outsider for trincao i thought he was better against elche and i thought he was again fine as we saw getting the start against Rayo Vallecano as well and I think with him he's the one young player other than Pedri who's earned his minutes Trincao's the one young player for Barca this season unlike I guess Araujo and Mingueza have been thrown in there too and Dest as well I guess now I'm talking myself out of it but Trincao has not really been as good as the others and yet as a youngster unlike Alex Callado or under Oriana or any of the other academy products around the same age Trincao didn't come from the academy, and he seemingly is getting chance after chance after chance to deliver. And in the last few matches, I, I know that you don't watch Barca, I mean, per minute and per touch like like a Kool-Aid might, like, like we do here on the pod, but am I just wanting to see progress, or do you think there's actual progress that he's made from what you might have seen in October to what you saw yesterday? Yeah, I thought he was good last night, definitely. I, in, in terms of, again, like kind of, He's very elusive and and he's very tricky and he kind of skipped by a couple of tackles and and um, offers width there uh, when you don't have the desk there like uh, I know Minguez isn't kind of the same kind of a fullback as um, as Dest is uh, and but, but like he he definitely offers width and uh, and and then you're obviously kind of not so much comparing him to his past self you're kind of comparing him to like an Osman Dembele and he, he doesn't have that kind of those uh, lightning uh, that that kind of changes pace or he doesn't have that uh, ability to kind of just streak clear but uh, in terms of his elusiveness and he's probably just missing that final uh, final product and and like I said again with, with the likes of Junior Firpo and all that that's what can make or break you at Barcelona and I guess I suppose the other thing is he's in ways he's been scrutinized um given the fact that he's not from Barcelona and and, and like he's kind of an outsider coming into the Camp Nou and kind of oh, will he will he will he fit with the Barca way and the Barca model how quickly he learn it but also he kind of snuck in under the radar also in that he just kind of was signed and mentioned as a kind of like there wasn't all that much maybe in the in Kule universe he was there was a lot of hype but I feel like there wasn't as much hype and and therefore he hasn't been maybe criticized as much given the fact that that hype wasn't there so he's kind of been 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 evaluated based off the lack of hype so uh, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, like, I mean, he looks good. He's a young player again, elusive, lacking that final product. But again, that's going to happen. And you have to kind of, if Barcelona want to remain the club that they claim that they still are and want to be, they have to put their trust in these young guys and hope that they both will come good and that they will be put into an environment and will be trusted and will be given the confidence to come good. Yeah, you're right about that hype. I mean, Kule's most most them don't really watch the Portuguese league, and they're it, it's also as we know whether it's the Luis Figo effect all these years later or it's just the the Spain versus Portugal rivalry that Portuguese players get a shorter leash a lot of the time. But as you mentioned, Trincao winds up coming almost in the the cover of night as a Jorge Mendes client for maybe a bit of money, but that was what the market for him was over the summer. And that happens all again in the shadow of what was going on with Messi. So all of our attention was in that direction. And as you mentioned too, Trincao, he doesn't have the same quick switch, if you will, of De Belay. But for Braga and in the Portuguese league, one of the things that made his price tag what it was that he was scoring goals and his final product was actually a big part of his game. And so if Trincao isn't scoring goals, which he does has yet to record a goal for Barcelona, you kind of lose 30 to 40% of what he was bought for if he's not actually putting in putting the ball in the back of the net because his path to get the goal isn't really going to wow you in a way that Ansu Fadi or Dembele does. Now, we have two more things to talk about here. Uh, a quick thing about the... And it shouldn't really be quick, but Robbie, I... I, I I'm not putting the pressure on you to talk about Barca's financial situation uh, and all that bad news. That's that's something else entirely. And then we'll end with Rayo Varcano. So before we do talk about Rayo, I want to ask you a question here. If you were a Barca presidential candidate, how would you handle the Eric Garcia situation? Uh, I guess even from a politics perspective on the back of the financial news that came out this week. Yeah, I mean, depending what the asking price is, I guess. I mean, I mean, he has said that he's willing to kind of, or, or Victor Font has said that he's willing to forego his wages. And yeah, like, but what the thing about it is, being a presidential candidate, you have to kind of, it's, it's like in any kind of politics, you have to kind of find out what the people wanting or, 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 and give it to them. And in, and in terms of, even if he becomes a, a massive failure, fans uh, uh, love new shiny things. So, I mean, if you wanted to kind of uh, get some extra bonus points, you could definitely. Uh, um, you'd, you'd probably go for him. I mean, I don't know what City's situation is in terms of how much they're willing to let him go for. Like, it's not, I don't think it's, a, it's massive amounts or anything like that. Um, and it would be a massive kind of a brownie point for you by, by promising a new player, bringing him in. But, but given the fact that the, the coronavirus situation, would it be a wise thing to do given the, given the kind of all the noise at the moment about Barcelona's finances? Would it be seen as would it be seen as kind of negligent almost, or not negligent, would it be seen as irresponsible? <laughs> not even a difficult word. Would it be seen as irresponsible? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, how, is he a player that is going to add to the team straight away? I would imagine so. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how to... Uh, people love new shiny signings, and I think that would be a, a kind of a quick win for a presidential candidate. But at the same time, you have to weigh up would it be the right way to start your your um, your your presidential reign? Yeah, I mean, I think for better or worse, and and this could just be the internet. This could just be our closed Facebook group. But it seems to me that he's always, and now it seems like he's going to be. If he doesn't come for free in the summer, and Barca pushed, I think the number I saw last was three million euros to Man City. So yeah, not an insane amount, but also an insane amount when Barca have negative 
90 million euros to be able to spend when they owe 196 million euros still for other transfers, 49 of which were Coutinho, which we obviously, again, it's not Eric Garcia's fault that Coutinho didn't work out two and a half, three years ago. But on the backdrop of what Barca's financial situation is, having a player who could come for free, not come for free, seems to be the argument, but it has nothing to do with Garcia. So my fear is that Kules will look at Garcia as, hey, this kid, I mean, Barca are in this dire financial situation, and yet they needed, needed, needed to get this kid. So he better be good. He better be good on, on his word. So my fear is that Eric Garcia, even though he's a former Academy product, even though it's a homecoming of sorts, even though that for Man City, he has been good, but unable to break into being one of their regular two starters. But he still is also just turned 20. So he's a young player that is kind of going to have to fight for his opportunity at Barcelona as well. And I'm just a little nervous that He's another one of those cases that as much as it, it would be a heartwarming homecoming if he winds up being a, a future star, that he just won't have the leash because of what he represents in terms of Barca's finances. Now, I think we put a pin in Barcelona. Unfortunately, we've ended it on a sour note. But a positive note for Raya Varcano, yes, they lost that match, but they're a team that I want you to speak about here a little bit now. Messi has scored in 10 of the... 11 games he's played against Rio and has never lost against the Madrid side. So Robbie, I'm thinking that I know there's sympathy when there's no reason to pick non-Barca favorites, but I will ask you for all the Spanish teams that you've gotten familiar with, what makes Rio Varcano so special? Eh, well, firstly, the fact that I, I wrote the book about them and, and I, I kind of had to get close to them and I had to get intimate with the surroundings and the stadium. And I interviewed a lot of the people around the club and I kind of, I learned firsthand in a formal setting, what it means to people. I interviewed fans, I went on away trips, I uh, spoke to the Bucaneros, the, the ultra fan group, um, and, and also just my, my own, my own um, personal kind of, the way that I see football and the way that I think football should be and, and the way that I think fans should be. And, um, uh, that's, that's partly the reason why. And then there's also a personal thing in that, like, I grew up in Ireland. We had no football club close to us. We played a different sport called Gaelic football, and that was my true uh, passion growing up. And I, I like I had friends who supported Man United. And my brother absolutely loved Liverpool, and 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 I I, I never under, I, I couldn't understand why, and I could never get a connection. I went to we went to London when I was younger, and we watched uh, went to White Hart Lane to see Spurs play. And I kind of watched Spurs then, and I kind of had an affinity for them. But I never felt a connection to a to a club because I wasn't in the middle of it. I wasn't. I didn't go to games regularly. I I, I had no skin in the game. We'll say like I you know. Whereas with Rio, it's the first club where I I'm friends with fans of the club, and we go and we meet before the game, and and it was the first kind of emotional connection that I had. And and then you see like stories coming out about like uh, the, the current owner. Raul Martin Pressa and the way that it's run and you see the shambles that it is and you feel kind of, you feel something and that, that kind of gives you an incentive then to, to kind of watch them a little bit closer and then you get even more uh, involved and things like that. So yeah, like, I mean, just the fact that I wrote the book and the fact that uh, it, it, their, their, their brand of football fandom is something that I completely identify with. And then, um, yeah, it just kind of it, it mixes in with my own love story with Spain and coming here and moving here, and I've got lots of fond memories. So yeah, yeah, there um, there's plenty there to kind of pick through, and but um, I, I I just love them and and I think that they're a great club. 
Well, that's what I was going to ask too. Uh, Ariola, his it was a little confusing. That obviously a a new manager has to start somewhere, so he winds up being a longtime Athletic Club right back. Now takes over Rio Vallecano. And what was puzzling to me against Barcelona, and you can kind of speak to Rio's season this year in the Segunda Division A, that he winds up not going with a anywhere close to his best 11, uh, whether it was Alvaro Garcia we saw come off the bench, the right back, the, the Peruvian right back in Avincula. He winds up not, uh, even Mateus Suarez, who hasn't really been the starter this year, but still you'd say he's probably their most experienced player. So other than Trejo and Frank Garcia has been the left back this season, it really wasn't the best version of Raya Vallecano that we could have seen. Did you understand when you saw that starting 11, what the idea was for, for Ariola and how that's different from what he normally throws out in the second division? Not, not really, no, because what Ariola has done, and we saw him, and he was actually the manager of Mirandes last year, and we saw Mirandes' unbelievable cup run there. They got to the semifinal, and he... And and it's a natural progression for him. Him Mirandes, uh, kind of a smaller club, Rio, kind of a, a kind of a, a yo. No, not kind of. They are absolutely a yo-yo club, up and down. Maybe belong at the, the, the top end of the Segunda, but also feel entirely comfortable and have been at times throughout the last decade in in La Liga. They spent a lot of time there, so kind of like a a one A Segunda team, uh, and he. He has brought what, what so so Rio like are absolutely a basket case of a club, and then tactically like I mean Rio, and this is another reason why I loved him is because you go to the Vallecas Stadium and they had obviously Paco Jemez in charge, but then Michel they have like a, a philosophy of playing beautiful football, uh, and they which can lead all 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 of course to incredible performances, but also they can lead to crazy. Um, Results like four trees. Uh, tre- like I mean, we went to see Barcelona playing Rio in the in La Liga a couple of years ago, and and Rio were leading up until kind of late on that game or, or into the second half, and Barcelona came back, so uh, allowing Messi to keep his uh, record intact. But so so Iraola, what Iraola has done is he's come in and kind of solidified them, and there's not as many crazy results. There's a lot of one nils, a lot of one alls, a lot of kind of two nils, way more stable. Which kind of goes against Rio's style, but but then last night they came out and they played a kind of high pressing game. There was high intensity, and it was kind of like it felt like Iriola was saying, "Look, we've got nothing to lose here," and it it felt like they were they were definitely kind of um, their goal is to get back into La Liga. So I mean, they were going out with nothing to lose last night, and I thought we, I think we saw that. Like I mean, they took the lead against Barcelona in the second half and could have won that game uh, if it wasn't for like obviously Messi and 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 De Jong, but um. Yeah, I wasn't sure what to expect, but then when I saw how they played and how intense they were and their high pressing, I felt like, yeah, they're they're going out here with their boots on, they've got nothing to lose, with the goal in mind that promotion from the second division is their goal. Well, yeah, at the moment, as you mentioned, promotion is the goal, not necessarily going after the, the, the Copa del Rey trophy. They're currently in fourth place, so that means they're in one of the four playoff spots in the Segunda Division. Ah, the top two, that being Espanyol and Mallorca, the favorites right now to get automatic promotion, but still plenty to play. But there's Ameria, Ravaracano, Sporting Gijon. You want to talk about Yo-Yo and then Leganes as well, who just got sent down. So those are your four teams right now in the playoff spot. So 
we will keep one eye on what Rye Arcana are doing in this Saguna Division uh, table. But, Robbie, we also want to keep one eye on what you're working on and what you're doing currently. So can you give people just a quick update on where they can find you again? I will have your Twitter bio so people can click on your name down in the description to find you on Twitter. But what are you working on at the moment? Yeah, just working from home, still working with uh, Ask English. We've been doing um, doing uh, the work from home since uh, February, whenever the first lockdown started. So, yeah, like, I mean, it, it gives me the chance to kind of get back and forth to Ireland a little bit. And um, I've, yeah, we're in Spain here. So I'm in Spain at the moment in, in Madrid at home. And we've got the coronavirus. I, I don't know if you kind of like talking about that on the podcast, but yeah, we've got the coronavirus situation here. We don't know what's going on. It's worse than it was in March and yet we're not really in lockdown. So it's kind of, it's a really, really strange time to be a football journalist uh, and a football fan at the moment. We can't go to games. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely a, a strange one, but just kind of trying to keep it together as best I can. <laughs> yeah, for sure. As we mentioned with Rav Arcana, one of the terms that I see that they're, it's a heavy metal neighborhood is, is what uh, is what I've, I've read about Rive Arcano and the just the neighborhood around the stadium. And certainly you can't do heavy metal without any fans at all. So, yeah, that is certainly a big part of the, the culture and the understanding of a club like that. And uh, yeah, you're you're living the same life. And we all are too indoors. Well, Robbie, unfortunately, that's where we ended on, on a sour note. I mean, Frances and I, we joke that. We always try to end with a negative in that way. But the positive is that you are joining me today, and I really appreciate your time as well. That's no problem at all. Any time I can help out, give me a shout. So again, this was Robbie Dunn, and I want to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in to our second show of the week. You can check out the show notes to subscribe and follow Robbie on Twitter there down in the description below. We're on social media too at the Barcelona Pod on Twitter, at Hilton D13 for me, on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, closed Facebook group, tvpod.link, backslash group, deeper dives and discussions. And I asked on Monday's show for people to help us out on Patreon, and we got three new patrons that I, I want to mention as well. Special thank you to them for joining. I'll say their name the next time we do that, a few weeks' time or a month's time. But thank you so much for those who have joined Patreon and for the, the rewards over there. That's tvpod.link, backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube, as everybody knows, at the Barcelona Podcast. So check us out there. Hit that subscription button. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Before the Barca. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.